Blog Talk Radio. Once again to Madam Perry's salon. I know you're awake for the transporter and Mr. Sulu, but um, I'm giving Mr. Sulu a couple of nights off. So uh, thank you so much for listening, and I want to thank everybody for subscribing, for downloading. It's every day, every day when I check stats, uh, the numbers are growing, and I just want to thank you so much because you've been such a great support to me and audience, and because of you sharing and listening and downloading. It helps me to continue to get fantastic guests like I've got tonight, like I've had last week, coming up soon. Uh, every show gets more and more fun for me and everybody else. That's what, that's what you tell me. And uh, I just want to thank everybody, all the listeners and subscribers. If you've not subscribed, you can do so. It's free, just like downloading the episodes. Uh, if you're listening live tonight, January 31st, Wednesday, on Blog Talk Radio, you'll see a hot pink, nearly fuchsia rectangle that says follow. If you go ahead and click on that, or you can just uh, follow or subscribe on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts, be it uh, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast FM, Blueberry. There are so many. There's probably some more with people making money off of me that I don't even know about. But there is, uh, yeah, there are a lot too. A lot of people listen to podcasts on the weekends. I do too. But, you know, funny thing, listen, I'm not making any kind of comment or judgment one way or the other. But would you believe that last night, um, I guess during the hours of the State of the Union, I saw all these people on Facebook saying, well, I'm not going to watch it for this, or I'm not going to watch that. I'm going to watch something else, or we're going to movie instead. For some reason, a lot of people downloaded episodes during that time period, downloaded episodes of uh, Madame Perry Salon podcast. So I hope you were entertained <laughs> as you wished to be and needed to be, and I thank you so much. Um, again, of course, I'm Madame Perry, your host and cruise director, but you can call me Jennifer. And just to say, lately, uh, last night we had Adrian T. Ash, jazz musician from Adrian Ash and the Bad Ash All-Stars. And I've performed with his group a couple of times and um, performing around. Check him out if you want to see him. Monday we had Timelin Langan. She is the money magnet. She will teach you how to live like a millionaire no matter what your salary or budget is. Uh, Coming up soon in the next few weeks and month, we're going to have Monday Linda Civitello. She's a journalist and food historian. She's also done a lot of work in film. Uh, Linda's newest book is called The Baking Powder Wars. And you might think, baking powder wars, that's an oxymoron. What a big deal. It's like a food fight, a kitchen fight, what? But the story of baking powder and how it got started and created and marketed is a cutthroat world. It's got everything. Jesse James, the mafia, the KKK. It is a savage story. Who would think from baking powder? And Linda Civitello, if you've never talked to her or listened to her, she is so much fun. So you're going to love that Monday night. Um, Coming also, we're going to have Bootsy Collins. You know, Lucy Collins, he'll make your funk the P-Funk. He's going to be coming here soon as well uh, as another visit from Chasm Sultan and hopefully soon uh, about the same time as Chasm Prairie Prince, drummer for the Tubes and Todd Rundgren and several other groups. So, like I said, it's been great. Things coming up are great, and tonight is no exception. Tonight we have, I'm thrilled to have one of not only an audience favorite here, one of my personal favorites, my favorite true crime author, Michael Fleeman. And I I was going to get ready to give him this whole big build-up before I said his name, but you've all been emailing me and messaging me about how you can't wait to listen tonight. Uh, you know, he is a Los Angeles-based author, journalist, instructor, and television commentator. You can usually see him on Deep Undercover on the Escape Network. And believe me, you'll see him. I see him pop up on there all the time and just go, hi, Michael. 
Not that he's Good hearing. Good evening. But anyway, tonight we're going to be talking about his new book. Um, it's called Better Off Dead, about a love triangle gone deadly. And we're going to also talk about one of his other books. Actually, this is, I believe, his best-selling uh, true crime book, Lacey, Inside the Lacey Peterson Murder. Uh, it is now available as an audio book from Brilliance Audio, and we'll also tell you how you could probably get a, t- a free copy of that. So welcome once again to Madam Perry Salon, Michael Fleeman. How are you tonight? I am doing great. I am so excited. I have been waiting for this night. Well, I hope I don't disappoint. I know you won't disappoint. I hope you are happy to be here. (laughs) I am. I am. I've been looking forward to it. Okay, because it is always a thrill. When I read, uh, as soon as I saw Better Off Dead was published, and I snatched up my copy and read it, and these days about reading a true crime book is that can read it and then you know you don't even have to wait like I've get I have the ebook I don't even have to wait to check and uh at the end where the pictures are you can go online or google images and see what everybody looks like and uh or watch the trial and let me tell you some of the things we'll get into this later but some of the things you told me about the trial the way you describe people is like oh my gosh it sounds like an exaggeration on a couple of them but it was not at all no, this is a people, pretty well people, story. You couldn't you couldn't make up some of these characters, and I, I think <laughs> I think people reading the book are going to say, "My goodness, are these people real?" And they are. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, just want you to know, if you're listening uh, live, you know you can call in and talk to Michael. We'll be taking your calls at six four six seven one six nine nine two two, and. Just, uh, oh, this is going to be so much fun. So, Michael, so we'll talk about the this book first, uh, Better Off Dead, and just starts at the scene a little bit. You've seen some of my promos that I put out there for it, and, uh, and yours are <laughs> pretty big stuff, too. You know, and that's the other thing is because I, I was able to get screenshots from the news stories about it and uh, about this case when it was on trial. So tell us about a little bit what Better Off Dead is about and how, what was it, when did you find out, and what was it about the story that made you want to write about it? Well, I'm always fascinated by stories about places you think you know and people you think you know, your neighbors, basically. And this story, much of it takes place in a very nice upper middle class, quiet community, planned community, uh, next to a couple of lakes and a golf course called Silver Lakes. And these are the folks you would, you know, take your kids to have birthday parties with or go out boating with or go out to a, a PTA meeting with. But behind closed doors is all this intrigue and secrets and and crazy behavior and it all culminated in a very, very sensational murder. Yeah, no kidding. And so when did you first hear about it? Um, I heard about it actually on the local news. Uh, Silver Lakes is in the desert about an hour and a half um, away from where I live in Los Angeles. So the initial murder was covered on the local news and, it was um, a man who was was murdered at work. He worked for the railroad out in a place called Tehachapi. It's uh, kind of a high desert community, um, not far from Bakersfield, but it's in the mountains, a very beautiful place. And he worked for the railroad uh, as a mechanic, and his relief guy came in around 7 o'clock in the evening and found him shot to death on the floor of the repair shop. And... You know, it 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 was a complete mystery to everybody because he his name was Robert Lamone and and he was a very nice man, a family man, a husband, had a sweet, wonderful wife and two great kids, and you know you'd be hard pressed to find anybody who had uh, a bad word to say about him, much less want to kill him. He wasn't involved in drugs or had no financial shenanigans. So you know, from the very beginning, it was very very shocking. Who would want to kill this very nice man? who everybody seemed to love. 
Yeah, and from the way you described this era, like I think most of there were some people there who's um, maybe the like the husbands all worked for the railroad, or people just seemed to be a close knit community, and people like their kids went to school, and they were. Um, just very involved with each other. They went to church and had church activities, and it just seemed like um, a lovely place. I think and there was one part of the book where you described, like, you know, you go way out in this desert, and you're thinking, what is out here? And then you see this lovely little neighborhood community. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like taking a, a little, you know, planned community with a lake and a golf course and a good school and a nice little shopping village, and then plopping yeah. it in the middle of the desert. Um, it's like an oasis, kind of a suburban oasis. And, yes, uh, Robert and his wife, Sabrina, and their two kids were very active in the community, and, and she was active in the church. And, you know, I went through family albums, and every Halloween they had big dress-up parties, and every Christmas they had, you know, big events, and they would uh, go out and, at the restaurants at night, and they would go to the Colorado River. They had, they had boats, and, you know, um, it was a, a, a very kind of close-knit community. And, then, and yeah, like I said, the, everybody seemed very devoted to their children's school activities, the parents that would always be there, you know, to help out with the classrooms and things. And so then, with all of this going on, and it seemed like, you know, too, Robert Lamont and his wife, Sabrina, beautiful couple, beautiful family, uh, had good, strong relationship, long-term relationships with their friends and their families. Um, and then suddenly, yeah, we people, Robert's coworker comes in, finds him dead, finds him murdered. And like we said, there was nothing about this guy that would make anyone think like you said, no drugs, didn't have any enemies, seemed to get along with everybody, lots of friends. Uh, wasn't anything that would be taken from the business and the railroad that would show a reason to uh, do this. So if it's going, well, you know, what could have possibly happened? And then was it, as it goes on, I think, that night when the police are talking to the wife and they're going through his phone. They're going through his phone. And, you know, he was killed at his work. It's a kind of a repair garage. And he left his cell phone uh, on the desk. And, you know, first they called his wife, Sabrina, at home. It's about one o'clock in the morning. And, and, you know, she was obviously very upset. And, and you know, she had just talked to him and and he, he had not come home for work. And he was, you know, uh, frantically, she was frantically sending him messages and leaving phone calls. And the kids were going to go to school the next day. And she was trying to get the kids to bed, and she was growing increasingly worried. Uh, and they found these messages on his phone, but they found something else, and that was a bunch of pictures of topless women. And, you know, it's the cops say it's not that unusual. Even good family guys have been known to, to, to download some stuff. But it was the first kind of red flag, and... When they did, the detectives did a follow-up interview a few days later with his wife. They asked her about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, did she? Is as I recall, she didn't seem to be too surprised. Well, uh, Sabrina Lamone, his wife, they've been married about ten years. In fact, he was killed right before a day or two before their anniversary. She wasn't surprised, but she got increasingly flustered uh and you know they ran through the routine questions and you know and, and in every case like this they have to ask you know do, do, do you have any marital problems any problems at home and she said no no you know we loved each other we were very happy and then the detectives and, and you know the detective really kind of stumbled over himself he was almost embarrassed to ask the question he said well you know we went through his phone and we found these photos of topless women. And she started becoming kind of flustered. And the detective had not actually at that point <laughs> seen the photos. Uh, and she said, well, maybe they're me. I mean, you know, I have sent some to my husband, you know. I don't know. And she got, you know, she just got kind of a little out of sorts. Not panicking, nothing, but she was, it, it did throw her off. So, uh, so then from there, uh, how does so then where you know 
the thing that always amazes me reading true crime, and I think I've read every. How many books do you have, Michael? Uh, oh, 10, 11. 11? I thought it was 11, 12. I think I've read them all but two so far. And things that surprise me with true crime is that people really come up with some goofy stuff that they're sure they're going to get away with. They think that the cops will never, yeah. ever figure out. And yeah, my advice, so, all, my advice to all would-be criminals is keep your mouth shut and get a lawyer. I, I would say the majority of my <laughs> books, uh, most of them would have spared themselves a lot of problems if they thought, if they didn't think, rather, that they could out, outfox the police. You, you can never outsmart the police. Mm-mm. No, <laughs> that is, you know, everybody thinks, oh, they'll they'll never catch this, they'll catch me. You know, yes, they will, they do. It's very seldom it's, it's going to be a, don't think that they won't. Look, I know people don't want to have to split community property or anything, but it's a lot easier than, than sharing a cell with somebody the rest of your life. But uh, so where does this start to unravel then with the cops? I mean, where do they start to catch on to what's happening? Well, you know, the, the police are – they're dumbfounded, and there's some false leads. Um, there was uh, uh, a gunsmith who reported that uh, a man in the, the same complex where Robert worked had uh, had brought in a gun and, and had some fishy story about, oh, needing the firing pin um, removed, uh, even though the gun was working properly. And they thought that was it, and, and the guy had – his son had a criminal record, and – uh, but that didn't pan out. Um, uh, the bullets didn't match. The the ballistics didn't match up with the gun. Uh, they had another report of a of a man acting suspiciously walking around um, uh, the area around the time of the the, the murder. Um, this is a good time to mention that they actually got security footage, very blurry security footage of a person, can't even tell if it's a man or a woman, but it looks like a man walking quickly toward the scene of the crime. So they had a, a little bit of an idea what time it happened and at least the build of the person. Uh, but the sighting of this other guy, that didn't pan out. He just turned out to be uh, sort of an alcoholic homeless person. Um, and so they start interviewing Sabrina and Robert's friends in Silver Lake. Um, and... Yeah. They handed out business cards to all the friends, and one of the friends, one of their oldest, closest friends, calls the police with some news that turns the entire investigation on its head. Mm. Yeah. It's, oh, <laughs> it's, it's uh, apparently for a friend, and this was a very close friend. And so usually if a friend calls in, I think sometimes it has to be it, – it's usually not for the money. It seems more like a matter of conscience. Is that what do you think this was? This certainly was. Their names were Jason and Kelly Bernatine, and they were the best friends of Robert and Sabrina Lamone. And all those parties I talked about and going to the river and hanging out with the, each other's kids uh, – these two couples did all young couples in their you know late twenties, early thirties, and, and they knew each other for a decade in Silver Lake. They lived down the street from each other. Kids played with each other. Kelly Bernatine was Sabrina's hairdresser, and they would sit in the chair for hours and talk and gossip. And Jason and Robert were good friends. And Jason was a fireman, and and uh, uh, you know another kind of go-getter guy like Robert was, but. There was a, an incident that happened, um, and and it, it it kind of it sort of stuck out in in Jason's mind that before the murder, uh, there was this guy who showed up at a party that the Bernatines and the Lamones were having uh, at a local bar, and he was a young guy, another fireman. Um, and he just kind of showed up at this at this party that they had. And he thought it was kind of suspicious. And he posed for a photo um, with uh, Sabrina. Um, and he's a young guy, handsome guy, but he seemed awfully friendly with Sabrina. And Sabrina seemed awfully friendly with him. 
And, uh, you know, this, these were very gregarious couples. And, <laughs> you know, Kelly herself took the picture, and she didn't really think too much about it. And, uh, and then time goes by, and, and this is before the murder, and uh, Robert gets wind uh, by looking at Sabrina's phone that this guy, his name is Jonathan Hearn, is sending love messages to Sabrina. You know, I love you. Yeah, and you know, Robert is incensed. You know, and he and Sabrina have it out, um, and they have a big argument, but they make up. And in one of the first, uh, you know, details for the trial, Sabrina says, you know, they had this glorious makeup sex after their big argument, and. She agrees never to talk to him. says, look, he, she, he was flirting with me. I was flirting with him. It's no big deal. And she agrees never to uh, see him again, this Jonathan guy. Well, <laughs> time passes, and everybody forgets about Jonathan. And then one day, one day, this Jonathan guy calls Jason Bernatine, the best friend of this couple. And he mm-hmm. wants to talk to Sabrina's husband. He wants the phone number. And Jason's like, what the heck is going on with this? And <laughs> it's, you know, none of it's making any sense. And, and by happenstance, Robert was with Jason at the time. And so Jason hands the phone to Robert. And he can see Robert having this intense phone call with this guy who's been sending love notes to his wife, you know. Um, so again, you know, they make up and it kind of blows over. And then one day, Robert gets murdered. And, you know, Jason thinks, gosh, I, I, you know, I don't want to think. I mean, you know, Sabrina seemed very sad. And this Jason, he was a fireman like, I mean, Jonathan was a, a fireman like Jason. And he seemed like a nice young man. And so he didn't want to think that there was anything behind this potential love affair, you know, that they were unrelated events, if it was even a love affair, you know. But it just kind of stuck in his crop. And then one day, after the murder, Jonathan Hearn calls Jason again with this long, rambling, weird apology for implicating himself in the couple's life. And it was just Mm. bizarre. And this is when Jason (laughs) says, okay, I can't ignore this anymore. I'm going to call the police. He's got the business card from the lead detective. He's going to tell the cops that the wife of the man who was murdered may have had an affair with this younger man who's been acting strangely lately, and that turns the investigation. Yeah, that that was really it right there when uh, when Jason called. And but it, and the thing is, too, that had to be very difficult because they had been close friends, the couples. They did a lot of things. They went together. Some of these couples would go out. They'd have a good time on the lake, you know, as with their kids. They'd all have family things, and then they have things that were just the adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were very close. And, and, and Jason, even when he called the police, even when the best friend called the police, he didn't want to believe it. You know, he just, he just said, it just kind of got to the point where he couldn't ignore any of this anymore. And, and, and this guy, this Jonathan guy, was kind of in his face and, and, and made it impossible for him. To explain, what are you apologizing to me for? You know, it, it was just a little weird, you know. And so when weird stuff happens mm-hmm. after somebody's murder, you know, you have to. But even then, he just didn't want to believe it. And and Kelly and, and Sabrina, they, they remained friends. And, you know, they would bring her food, and she was still doing her hair and, you know, watching the kids, babysitting the kids. And so, you know, it pained them to have to essentially report them to the police. Wow. Yeah, you know it did. Now, wasn't um, – yeah, because that is their friend. But on the other hand, one of their friends has been murdered. Yeah. And that puts a little edge into it as well. You might say, well, I don't want to tell on this friend. But then again, if my friend – half of this couple, my friend, my guy was murdered – and things are sitting fishy, you know, that, that gets to, that gets to tearing at somebody as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, friendship, well, a long friendship like that, you're going to feel um, a responsibility to your friend. 
you know, I can say nothing, let things go on. What if I'm wrong? You know, I may be crazy. This may be my imagination. But on the other hand, who would kill him anyway and why? Exactly. And so, that's, what, that's what was weighing on the Bernatines. Is it, it just didn't make any sense. And the police weren't getting anywhere, and the railroad had put out a big reward, and that wasn't getting anywhere, and they released the security video. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the couple are talking to the police and secretly and not telling Sabrina, not telling the, the widow. And at the same time, they're kind of playing amateur detectives. Now, keep in mind that the, the investigation is based in Bakersfield, and mm-hmm. the town of Silver Lakes is you know, two, three hours away, way across the desert. You know, out here in California, Kern County, where this happened, it's the size of, you know, Connecticut. It's it's one county. is is the size of an entire state. So the Bernatines become sort of remote amateur detectives, and they swing by <laughs> Sabrina's house now and then just to kind of see what's going on. And And they're keeping their eyes open. There's only one road in, one road out of, Silver Lakes, and everybody knows everybody there. And and who starts popping up in town after the murder but Jonathan Hearn, the young man. And it appears that he has parked his truck and motorcycle at Sabrina's house, and it appears that he, that truck and motorcycle are there the next morning. And mm. Kelly now is sensed. Her best friend is having apparently – a relationship with this guy who she knew before the murder, and now she's hooked up with him just weeks after the murder. And, yes, like you said, now she's feeling betrayed. She's feeling really betrayed, and she's reporting all this to the police. So from there then, yeah, you're right. It was a small t- it's like a small community, and everybody notices everything. And it was not that hard then for them to, uh, for Jason to Kelly uh, Bernatini to go and, and do a little amateur sleuthing because it wouldn't be abnormal for them to be driving around that neighborhood or past their friends or something. And, um, and everybody knows what cars should and shouldn't be somewhere. Overnight. Yeah, it was. I went up there a couple of times, and and you don't see that too much in California, you know, in the L.A. area. This is still part of sort of Southern California, you know. And I don't know if it was my imagination, but as I'm driving around in my car, I feel like, you know, everyone's kind of looking at me, like, oh, she doesn't live here. So, you know, uh, when Jonathan's driving in in his motorcycle, and he's he's driving at this, he had this big old diesel truck, and he's driving in this truck. You know, people notice things like that, and and so you know, Kelly at one point confronts Sabrina. Says, you know, look, are you seeing Jonathan? Are you seeing this young guy? And you know, Jonathan is about ten years younger than Sabrina, young, handsome man, and 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 you know, are you seeing this guy? And and Sabrina's like, you know, she either. Uh, doesn't want to talk about it, she gets indignant, or she tells her friend to butt out of her business, you know. And and this does not go over well either with Kelly. Okay, so let's go to then, let's go back just a wee bit. When, um, if we have here a neighborhood, you know, it's, it's just a, a little enclave, sort of. It's almost like a little mm-hmm. private small town, but that's the way it's situated, as I understand. Plus the fact that all these couples and families are friends. They have a lot of activities together that involve um, school and church and the neighborhood and the kids and hanging out. And then you'd wonder, where did this stranger, Jonathan Hearn, even though he was a fireman like Jason Bernatine was a fireman, and um, they didn't work together, but they knew each other. I understand. I mean, they were they weren't real yeah. good friends, but they knew who one another was. So then, how did J- how did uh, Jonathan Hearn come into Sabrina's life? Yeah. So Jonathan, he grew up not far away. Uh, he also grew up in a desert town, but but well out of Silver Lake, so a town called Hesperia. It's near Victorville, and it's sort of again, it's about two hours, hour and a half north of Los Angeles, and and uh, he was. 
he, he grew up in a, in a deeply religious home. Um, he was homeschooled by his mother in a, in a Christian-themed school, he and his siblings. Uh, his father owned the home school. Uh, so he grew up in a very kind of sheltered, isolated environment. Um, it, it was probably a little naive, but he's very, very smart. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, he basically finished his high school and his junior college at the same time. He went to the local junior college. and uh, So he became a, a fireman, paramedic first, and then a fireman uh, for San Bernardino County. And he got a job, and he did actually work briefly with Jason Bernatine. Uh They had a few shifts together. Uh, so they, they vaguely knew each other. And, you know, it's the fire department. Uh, it's a close-knit community, too. Uh, anyway, one day... Uh, Jonathan is going to Costco to pick up some groceries and supplies for the fire station. You know, they cook and basically live there. And his one of his mm-hmm. jobs to buy stuff for the station. He goes to Costco and he sees this pretty blonde lady handing out free food samples. You know how they have they give those samples at Costco. Yeah. And that was that was Sabrina. Uh and they strike up a conversation. Um and uh, they talk, and he comes back to get more supplies, and he comes back even on days he doesn't need to get supplies. Um, <laughs> and eventually she gives him her phone number. Um, she's very flattered by his attentions. Uh, like I said, he's very smart, um, good-looking, young guy. Sabrina now is... You know, she's uh, getting into her 30s. She's been married for 10 years. She's got two kids. And she has a marriage that is not what people think it is. And she has some sort of secret pains from this marriage. And this young guy, Jonathan, comes along and tells her how wonderful she is. And he introduces... Uh, religion into her life in a way that it had never been. Now, she went to church, but I, I get the sense it was more of a social thing for her. But Jonathan was very devout mm-hmm. and and very very well-read and, and uh, knew a lot about the scriptures, and, and his whole life kind of had always revolved around that. And and he they began sort of confiding in each other. They began a friendship, and uh, the friendship led to flirtation, um, and then the flirtation led to hooking up, and uh, they soon were having sex at her house and at his house, and um, and out in you know remote place in the desert. Wow. Okay. So, um, so yes. Yeah, so he he sees her becomes you know when she's yeah since she's older she's beautiful and she, she's very probably has a certain self-confidence about her that, you know, that the younger man is attracted to that maybe a girl his age wouldn't have, you know, that they seem to attract to and become friends. And what, um, he said there were certain secrets or things in, in, uh, in the Limon's marriage. Yeah. Break it down so, for us, Michael. You know yeah, where we're going. So this is where it gets, yeah, this is where it starts getting dicey. And, <laughs> Uh, Silver Lake's on the outside looks like a very, you know, we talked about it. Uh, but behind that facade, not long after the Lamones arrived in Silver Lakes, and this was around the year 2000, they met another couple who introduced them to the practice of swinging. And by all accounts, and there's some dispute here, who liked it more, Robert or Sabrina, but suffice it to say, not long after they arrived in Silver Lakes, they were partner swapping with another couple. They'd get a babysitter for the uh, night, and the adults would go off and play. Now, this was accompanied by lots of drinking, um, and uh, at the beginning, Sabrina claimed to like it um, and thought it was exciting and thrilling, Um, but she grew weary of it and began to feel ashamed and used and abused by her husband Mm -hmm. and began feeling like Robert was putting her up to these things that she didn't want to do anymore. And uh, eventually they broke it off with this couple, but 
Robert still enjoyed this very freewheeling partying lifestyle. Every time they went to the Colorado River, they would drink a lot. Um, women's tops would drop. And Sabrina was just getting tired of it. And, and, and along comes young, naive, devoutly religious Jonathan, who, for her, it was the first man who kind of saw her as more than just, you know, an object, that he seemed to love her for her and her mind. Um, and as she said in one note, not just my pieces, you know. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he did. By all accounts, he did genuinely fall deeply in love with her and had a lot of respect for her. And it was a respect that mm-hmm. she had never felt in her marriage to Robert. And she tried talking about this stuff mm-hmm. with Robert, and he's like, hey, just roll over and didn't want to talk about it. You know, he just mm-hmm. didn't want to talk about it. Now, Robert, and in the book, you know, he comes from a broken family and divorce, and, you know, it's a common thing. And he just didn't, you know, he wouldn't, he just didn't, couldn't deal with marital strife. He just didn't want to talk about it. He just wanted to have a good time and fix his trains and hang out with his friends and and, and live this kind of life uh, and didn't want to deal with it. And so it was when things were kind of reaching this real crisis for Sabrina that, you know, Jonathan literally walks through the door and and she finds uh, a shoulder to cry on and a, and a confidant and, and somebody she can talk to outside of this hermetically sealed Silver Lakes environment who can, you know, and, and, and he helped her. And, he, and they they found a lot of answers and a lot of solace in the Bible and the teachings of the Bible. And and it meant a lot to her. Mm. Yeah, it did. Oh, by the way, I want to say, if you're, if you're listening and you want to call in and talk with Michael Freeman, uh, the number is 646 Seven one six nine nine two two, and also we have uh, I have a message coming in from oh, one of our favorite suspense authors, Brett Wright, and he says that the uh, they're listening to it. The class that he has at uh, it's called Discovery Canyon Campus Writing Club, the Thunder Quills. They're there in Colorado Springs, and uh, they are listening right now. So. Give the shout out to the Thunder Quills and to Brett Wright. So I'm glad you guys are listening and enjoying it. Uh, so let's go then to. Um, so then he, the, the eventually, the uh, the information from Kelly Bernatine gets the police listening um, to the phone conversations that they're having between Jonathan, and Sabrina, and then that's how they break down their case. Yeah, exactly. So the the stuff from the the information from the Bernatines provides enough information to tap the phones of Jonathan and Sabrina. They also get phone records, and uh, phone records show you know when you call, when you text, and there are thousands of communications between Jonathan and Sabrina before, during, and after the murder. On the day of the murder, they talked for many were in communication the days after the murder right before the murder um and then they start tapping the phones and the police now can listen in on everything jonathan and sabrina are saying to each other uh in the weeks after the murder Oh, that's good. Well, by the way, okay, we do have a caller, uh, somebody calling in from uh, from Georgia. This is Duffy Odom. Hi, Duffy. Welcome again to Madam Perry Salon here with Michael Fleeman. Hi. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah, you I can hear you. Uh, hi, Michael. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. It's good. I'm glad that you're back. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad uh, to be back. This uh, conversation is very uh, is very interesting. I'm trying I, to keep uh, the PG thirteen for the kids. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, by the way, by the way, they I noticed that they, um, that they uh, heard their shout out. Uh-huh. They. Uh, I noticed. Um, not not to get off Sabrina, I'll come back to Sabrina, but 
you uh, have uh, you have your book out about Lacey yes. Peterson. Yes. And I, uh, as I was uh, reading about Scott, uh, of course, uh, we're uh, familiar with Scott. It was a pretty hot case. Um, I was thinking when I when I uh, was going through uh, the Scott Peterson case that uh, there's Scott Peterson and there's uh, are you familiar with Drew Peterson? Yes, yes. And are you familiar with Michael Peterson? Uh, Not that Peterson. Um, Well, all three are are uh, in jail for uh, murdering their wives. And uh, Drew Peterson, I think it's Drew Peterson's wife is uh, Stacy, and Scott Peterson's wife is Lacey. So uh, <laughs> there's a. I'm I'm beginning to think I, I wouldn't uh, if I was a woman. I don't think I'd marry anybody named Peterson. Yeah, I, I would probably I stay I away from that. Although I did a book about a guy <laughs> named John Smith who who killed two or three wives. So you never know. Yeah, and and uh, <laughs> my my question is like with the Sabrina, uh, specifically about the Sabrina yeah. case and. Uh, from uh, watching the uh, exciting HBO uh, documentary about Robert Durst, mm-hmm. when you uh, when something comes out about a case, you know Sabrina uh, is still not sentenced, and her sentencing, I think, just a couple of days ago, was uh, moved up to February twenty-first. Yes. Uh, and people look at when when a book comes out or a documentary uh, with an ongoing case, a case that hasn't been settled with, and it looks like uh, you uh, empathize with uh, one side or another, whether uh, however objective you are, everybody has their own opinion about who is guilty and who is not. And sometimes it seems so very obvious and the uh the person who's on trial seems so stupid or or <clears throat> or uh, is feels so um enabled to um to get by with with a crime. Um is it ex- is it more exciting for you to write about a crime that is uh, still in the works and still in the news and hasn't been settled yet? Yeah, it is. It is. It's exciting and it's unnerving because when you do true crime, it's true, and you don't know what the ending of your own book is going to be. Yes. And there's a very good chance, uh, you know, uh, that the charges can be dropped or the jury, like in O.J., comes back not guilty. And then mm-hmm. you have what you have this huge buildup, uh, the investigation and the family background and all about the case and the dynamics, and then the person doesn't go to jail. And, and it can be a, a – a, and, and for reasons that, you know, may be very technical or just a dumb jury or whatever, uh, and it can be very dissatisfying. And I had a book like that um, a couple of books ago about a woman who was very similar – to this one where she was alleged to have put her um, boyfriend up to killing her husband. And, uh, you know, I I started writing the book, and then right at the very last minute, they dropped the charges against her, uh, the murder charges, and she only got convicted Hmm. of perjury. And my, you know, my publisher was saying, well, this is is terrible. And and I said, well, (laughs) what part of the true and true crime do you not get? I, you know, I can't, I don't make it up, you know. Yeah, and you're talking and about that's, the crime. That's, you're not, just, that's not, real life, you know. So you it don't is have, exciting. You don't have I, anything I get, to do with whether the guy gets sentenced or not. No, or I hope person, I don't. Or the uh, woman. That would be and, terrible. So, <laughs> I, and true crime is just, it's a crime, you know. Yeah, you're talking so about a crime. if I come into the story just from, you know, and for the, the, the writer kids out there, uh, <laughs> the business of writing is i got to jump on this story 
early on, or another writer's going to write the story. And so right. I can't wait mm-hmm. until uh, it's all resolved, because by then, uh, if I try to get a book, they'll say, no, somebody else did it. So it's exciting to follow along, um, uh, and there's some kind of technical issues, too. A lot of people won't talk to you because they're witnesses, and they don't want to get in trouble, and and the police tell them not to talk, and the defendant doesn't want to talk, and the lawyers are sometimes under gag orders, and, and documents are... Uh, redacted, you know, like in this case, the Sabrina case, I, I I spent hundreds of dollars on police reports, and I spent, you know, 400 bucks on a pile of papers that had big black boxes on it. You know, I couldn't even figure out what, yeah. it, like Mad Libs, I couldn't even figure out what they were talking about. So, hmm. yeah. yeah, it's exciting, but it's also uh, very unnerving. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, um, and after it's over, you uh, there's uh, there's I'm sure there's a sense of uh, you know what what do I do now? This is yeah. Well, this, it's usually this is, and this is where my wife gets involved. I usually have a nervous breakdown about two days before the book comes out <laughs> because yeah. I can't change anything. I can't do anything. Yeah. And, and then uh-huh. and then you throw it out there, and now there's nothing I can do about it. And yeah. Well, there's good, bad, or mistakes, or things are right, and and I just uh-huh. you know now you just you just have to yeah. lay it out there, and, yeah. and or you, take your lumps or, or take your praise, no matter what. Yeah, or you missed mm-hmm. something that was that was uh, highly relevant, or you know. Uh, I yeah, you know I, I had I, one I, scene. I mean, I had one scene in this Sabrina book where I had the uh, detectives driving down the freeway, <laughs> and they looked over to their right at the crime scene. And thank goodness I drove on that same freeway, and it turned out that it was on the left, and I had to go back in and <laughs> do a search and replace for left and right everywhere. And you know, it's just some crazy stuff like that. Yeah, yeah you have to change the direction they were going in. Yeah, yeah and it's like, well, you idiot, you didn't even know what side of the freeway the thing was on. You know, so right. that's the, you know that's that's the challenge of writing true crime. And sometimes I think, gosh, it would be nice if I could just make it all up. But, uh, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm more interested in what what really right. motivates people and how things really happen. So. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, it's, a, it's an absolutely fascinating uh, genre, and I, I uh, admire everyone who writes about, uh, writes about these things successfully. And uh, for you to go from one crime to another, and just, I mean, you're like a... You're like you're like the cop in the back seat, you know. You're, you're uh, trying to help out, and, and at the same time, you want to get yes. everything down. And, you know, it's yeah, seriously. In, oh. in some ways, it's, it's kind of it's it's kind of harder than the than the attorneys that are working on it because you know all they mm-hmm. have to do is read. I, and you have to write, yeah, you never, have to write everything I never, down. I never thought about it like that. Hey, by the way, uh, Brett. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, Michael, Brett Wright just said that the kids, uh, the, the students, love the Mad Libs reference. Oh, good. Well, I, yeah, I didn't know the, if I dated myself. Out. I even still have Mad Libs. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He only just said the kids just love the Mad Libs reference. Well, just to keep going, I've only got you 11 more minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, we should tell so, I mean, we should give a sense of what happened, I suppose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. to move on. With uh, and, and I, I was serious that on, on those recorded conversations, I would hear them. You know, they'd be talking about stuff, and then, and then Jonathan and Sabrina that would start praying in the middle. But you know, one yeah. thing I always like about I, I do appreciate about your stories is that you always, you know, you you never seem to go into it from a, a, this person's all bad or this one's all good yeah. or whatever. You know, you see the humanity in each person in the story. And yeah, it's, that's what I, I mean, that's what made this case. So, I mean, these are two people, three people, four or five, however many involved, but the two key people, Jonathan and Sabrina, are, they have a lot of good sides and they have a lot of bad sides. And, and mm-hmm. they're flawed people. Um, and uh, and so that's what makes them real, you know. They're not cardboard cutouts. Um, and it's it what also makes I think the crime more so horrifying is that these aren't mm-hmm. evil people. These are people you can relate to. And and I think that's always the key of the true crime is that, but for the grace of God, this this could have been you pulling the trigger. You know, we we all have a point, I, I feel all of us do, where we could be pushed to this ultimate thing. Now, for some of us, it's a, it's a, it's a long ways off, but it can happen. <laughs> it can happen. 
and yeah. that's how it happened. Yeah. Um, so Sabrina, they um, listen in on the listening on the conversations, and they never admit it, but they get enough information to uh, arrest both of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's uh, he pleaded no contest, and he's he uh, he's getting huh? He pleaded guilty. Oh, he did. Yep. I thought and he pleaded he got guilty. I thought, he, I thought he pleaded no contest to voluntary manslaughter. He pleaded guilty to to voluntary manslaughter, and he got uh, I think twenty five years in prison yeah. in exchange for testifying against his former lover Sabrina. And Sabrina. That uh-huh. was her final undoing. The final yeah. Final problem and was he, he will be he sentenced, testified uh, against her. Yeah. Yeah. She'll be finished yeah. next month. I'm, I'm pretty sure she'll go to jail. And the same we'll thing, though, Duffy, is that too? You know, it's it's sad all around. Here, there's children now that don't that, that that will not be raised by their parents, either one or both of their parents. That's a sad thing. The family members, you know, um, there's a lot of hurt all the way around. But to think that too, somebody like Jonathan, so young, you know, like I said, he was very smart. Uh, well, these people seem to be um, seem to, to read a lot. They said he, he passed his test. He was one of the youngest people to uh, do what he was doing in the fire department. And yeah, a smart young man seemed very sincere. And you just you know can't fight that feeling, especially when you're young. It's hard to know how to take those feelings and kind of separate and deal with them. Yeah, he got um, he got a double whammy of uh, uh, a lot of religion. And a lot of sex at the same time, and yeah. uh, the two got sort of perversely intertwined in his brain, and and he he thought he was saving her from uh, from Robert, and that's why he admitted to doing yeah. the, the murder. But but at the end, he was not going to take the rap on his own, and he got himself a sweetheart deal. He's going to get out of prison probably before she does. Yeah. Well, okay, so you got to get this book, Better Off Dead. I've been telling you all about this, everybody. Um, also want to say hello to my friend Marsha in Asheville because she is a true crime lover, and she's excited about this book. And if she hasn't, she's going to get it this weekend if she hasn't already bought it, and she's probably reading it now. Uh, so, Marsha, we're going to talk about this when we get back together. And um, this is amazing. Also want to say, too, um, your book – Lacey Peter, at least Lacey inside the Lacey Peterson murder. That was one of your best-selling books, but now it's just become available on audiobook from Brilliance Audio. Yeah, all these years uh, later, my agent called and said, "Hey, we sold the audio rights," and I, I said, "I well, great. I'm I'm glad. I and I I hope the book. Uh, I wrote it around the time this all happened, and and I hope it uh, it holds up. It's it sounds great. It's it's wonderful having a man with deep dramatic pipes read your book uh who is who's reading it <laughs> i knew you were going to ask that and uh i i honestly don't know i it's uh malcolm hillgardner is his name hillgardner and uh-huh. he's a famous uh audiobook guy so as soon as you hear his oh. voice uh he makes me sound just like a writing genius and yeah. and as soon as you hear his voice he's like mr audiobook you'll you'll recognize it is this uh <laughs> on is this Going to be available on on Audible. It's uh, yes. In fact, if you or sign up for Audible, you get it free. So uh, if you're oh, not good. on yeah. Audible, oh. uh-huh. uh, otherwise you yeah. can download it uh, from Audible um, or you know buy the CD or however you want to get it. Yeah. You know, I'm on the road a lot, so I like to listen to audiobooks, and I'll, I usually end up getting them at truck stops along the way when I'm traveling through a few states. If I were your publicist, which I'm not, but if I were. I would say you, I would have a books or uh, uh, audio book sign. I guess sign the card, the the uh, package that it comes in, at a truck stop. Just saying. <laughs> That's a good idea. Well, I, it, it's interesting you say that because yeah. now they're cheaper now because you can uh, download them. Uh, and so I can't remember how ah. expensive. It used to be like fifteen, twenty bucks. Remember when you had to buy all the like eighty-seven uh, cassette tapes, you know, for an entire book? Well, now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Now you can just download it uh, for you know six seven dollars. Yeah. Um, so I actually another one of my books is going to be out uh, in the 
in audio, and I hopefully more of them will, and I'm expecting uh, Better Off Dead will also be out in audio, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, good, good, good. Oh, that'd be and great. And, you know, uh, and if you've been listening tonight, I know I'm getting some messages from people that have been, are enjoying this. Um, thank you, Daryl. I'm glad you enjoyed this show, too, and I know you're going to love the book, but um, and thank you for the messages. Michael Fleeman is uh, he, he's long time you've worked for Associated Press, but um, your coverage, uh, you covered the Timothy McVeigh Oklahoma City bombing trial, but your coverage of the O.J. Simpson trial earned you a nomination for a Pulitzer Prize. Congratulations. That's very impressive. Um, you, <laughs> that's a pretty big deal. He's also available as a speaker and TV commentator. If you want to hire him, you can afford him, but you usually see, you've seen, him often on TV, Entertainment Tonight, E! True Hollywood Story, Inside Edition. Uh, you've been on HLN, Showbiz Tonight, CNN. Uh, and, of course, uh, what, ID? Dis- oh, Investigation Discovery, Oxygen, True Yeah, TV. I'm going to be, um, in about two weeks, there's a new show that Soledad O'Brien hosts um, on Oxygen. Mm-hmm. It's called, I think it's called Mysteries and Scandals. Um, scandals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's in about the third week. I'm in week six, and I'm talking about the Michael Jackson case and the Anna Nicole Smith um, death. Oh. oh, wow, fantastic. Well, we will be watching you on that as well. And um, so what did you have? So, so right now, folks, go get uh, Better Off Dead. If you, and like I said, I've read everything except for two of your books, Michael, so and I'll probably have those read by the end of the next week. And Lacey, Inside the Lacey Peterson Murder, one of your uh, best-selling books, is now available on audio from Brilliance Audio. Uh, what do you have coming after that? Um, I am I am writing a book Thank right you. now. Uh, it's a case. In fact, if you go on uh, YouTube, you can see it. It's a really crazy one. Uh, two identical twin sisters. Um, Alexandria and Anastasia Duval, and they were gorgeous, uh, identical twin sisters. They ran a yoga studio in Florida and Park City, Utah. They ended up in Maui, and one day their SUV went off a cliff on the road to Hana, smashed on the rocks below. Alexandria lived. Anastasia, her twin, died in the crash, and Alexandria is on trial for her murder. Um, and it is a fascinating case. If anybody is a twin or knows about twins, this is all about this very kind of mysterious and special relationship that twins have. And what happened was a man got between them. And the prosecution right now is trying the case. Alexandria is in court right now. If you go on YouTube, you can see the uh, you can see the trial taking place as we speak um, in Maui, uh, and we'll see. This was a, a case that I don't know how what the ending is going to be, but I'm working on it right now. Oh, great! Wow. Oh, Lord. Identical twin. It's almost it's like something for a made for TV movie. It's it's hard to even believe it happened, but uh, take take a look, Alexandria Duval. Okay. Yeah, because twins, twins do have an, uh, an unimaginably strong bond. And I think I was reading something about them last night. It's coming through my news feed about uh, they had this twin power yoga. They were very successful. And, yeah, yeah, there was a song that came to mind uh, when I was reading about it last night. And I'll save that for the day when, hopefully, I hope you'll come back and talk to us about that when it's out, Michael Fleeman. I would love to. All right, great. Yes, so thank you. Thank you so very much. Go out, get better off dead. Get uh Lacey and the book and in the audio book. And we are and um Michael Fleeman, we are so glad to have you here again. Thank you so very much and thank you to everyone who called and uh who sent messages about the show right now that you're enjoying it. I appreciate it. And uh to the Thunder Quills, you guys keep writing and uh this is Madam Perry. I love you. Oh, wait. All right. Where is the map?
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.